Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carroll. Though you may not realize that the ongoing threat of terrorism is affecting your life and that of your loved ones. Each week, Dr. Carroll analyzes the hottest topics in terror and helps you and your family reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. Ghosts of surrender to Taliban taunt us today. Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol Lieberman, your terrorist therapist. Well, yes, it was two years ago this week that Biden made the historic mistake, debacle, mistake doesn't do it justice, of pulling us out of Afghanistan in such a chaotic and ill-advised way that we are more at risk today in 2023 of a 9-11 or, and other terror attacks than we were two years ago or even at the original 9-11. So, um, um, let me just first or orient you in terms of the dates. Uh, August 15th, 2021, the Taliban seized power. August 26th, 2021, the suicide bomber attacked at Kabul airport and killed 13 American troops. And then August 30th, 2021, that is when the withdrawal of troops is said to be completed. Now, of course, at the time, Biden promised that um, no American would left, be left behind. And in fact, there are hundreds, at least 200. <laughs> uh, well, we don't really know the, the exact number, but it is likely hundreds. We don't know because, um, because they have done very little to try to track track and rescue the Americans. They have tracked and rescued Afghans uh, who are now in our country, 80,000 of them approximately. Uh, since the vetting was so bad in Afghanistan, we don't know which of those 80,000 Afghans that we flew over in lieu of Americans are actually terrorists. Some of them did help uh, our troops, but um, we, <laughs> Surely, with the chaos that was going on in Afghanistan at the time, surely people, uh, Afghans who, you know, were terrorists, are terrorists, are currently in America. So now, um, we still don't know why exactly President Biden did this debacle, um, especially when he was warned by top generals not to do it that way. We know what he says is the reason why he did it. And of course, he blames it on Trump because Trump had made an agreement with the Taliban to consider withdrawing troops because he didn't want more American lives to be spent than 20 years in Afghanistan after 9-11. Um, but surely Trump would have stopped the pullout um, when he saw on August 15th, 2021, that the Taliban was seizing power, probably even before that, when he could see that they were beginning to seize power. 
um, before they actually had seized it. So <laughs> you can't blame it on Trump. Um, he also, uh, I'll be mentioning some other things today that he blamed things on, but he blamed it on everybody and everything except himself. And so, um, you know, so why, why do I, what do I think is the reason? We just, we still don't know. And I'm going to tell you about that because we still don't know a lot of details. But um, what I think are the two main reasons that um, this was such a debacle. Um, I think if we want to say that it was not on purpose, not deliberate, um, then the reason would be Biden's dementia. I warned people in 2020 when he was um, in his basement, I mean, I'm sorry, 2016, when, it, when he was in his basement um, running for president, that um, that he had what I called encroaching dementia. Um, it, we have all seen, I mean, I said that based upon my experience and knowledge as a forensic psychiatrist who um, has had to uh, evaluate people for their competency, you know, their mental status, their uh, ability to uh, sign wills or sign other papers, things like that. How competent are they? So I recognize the signs. I mean, really, most psychiatrists certainly are taught how to recognize the signs. But, you know, as a forensic psychiatrist, I've had a lot of experience under, under um, stressful circumstances, you know, under, under court cases where uh, the decision as to whether somebody is was competent or not when they signed a will or a contract or whatever uh, has huge repercussions. So that's the one thing, you know, that um, that his um, his dementia that had further encroached, um, and we see it, of course, today even more with his memory problems and his confabulation and his. Uh, irritable behavior and a hundred other symptoms. Um, but we, one of the main things that I, in terms of the surrender from Afghanistan, um, one of the main things that I think was hindering him, if it wasn't on purpose, was uh, his lack of analytic or abstract ability. That is one of the higher mental functions that we all have. Some of us have better abstract ability than others. And certainly in terms of dementia, that's one of the main things to go. So what that means is abstract thinking, um, it has to do with, uh, it's something that, that, that um, players, chess players have a lot of, are, are very endowed with um, uh, this ability to abstract think and analyze situations is the ability to hold different strategies in your mind at the same time and choose which one to do first and what would happen if you did that or, or if you did this I mean you can think about it chess players have to figure out you know what would happen if they make this move and then the other person might make this move or they might make that move and you have to go be able to go all the way down the line well it, you know war is chess in a sense um, and clearly Biden was not able to move his chess pieces when his plan A wasn't working, you know, when he, when the Taliban seized power and were, um, gradually making it more, um, dangerous, chaotic, and so on, rushing the game, um, 
Biden did not have a plan B. And for and but then we we come down to the question, well, okay, but then why didn't he listen to his top generals who were telling him plan B or even actually telling him plan A and they didn't he didn't listen to them. Now, so if it wasn't um so so that would explain, you know, if it wasn't on purpose. But uh, but if it was on purpose, why would that be? Why would we why would he purposely mess it up, um, which has so many repercussions, uh, not least of which is the fact that it showed to the families of uh, people who had gone over there to fight and to people contemplating joining the military and to, you know, people who who died or got injured over in Afghanistan, all of the people, all of the troops who ran after 9-11, they ran to enlist because they wanted to protect America. They felt so patriotic that they wanted to protect America. So they ran to enlist. And um, yes, then it went 20 years, and but it was still the patriotism that was causing people to enlist. So when Biden had this debacle of a pullout, it made people think, uh, not just the families of the victim of the, of the veterans or the or the veterans themselves, um, but it made everyone think, well, how sad that they gave their life or gave their limb. You know, they, what did they do it for? In the end, what was gained? Now, um, really, what was gained was I think it did keep another 9-11 from happening for 20 years. But um, it certainly has discouraged, you know, looking at today, it certainly has discouraged people from uh, joining the military, you know, because what people are thinking to themselves, well, why should I go over there and risk my life when um, a president, Biden or some other president could just decide willy nilly that he wants to pull out and all of my efforts would be in vain? Well, um, I think so if it was purposeful, if he purposely ignored the uh, advice of his top generals and so on, and if it wasn't just his dementia, then I think that it's because of Obama. Obama made uh, our country more vulnerable to terrorists than, um, than any other president. And um, undoubtedly he did a number of things while he was president that really put us in greater danger. And we know uh, it's really not a secret that Obama is ruling the White House, that Biden is just a puppet. And as a psychiatrist, you know, I have to look at what happened in Biden in um, Obama's childhood. Well, Obama studied at madrasas. And what do they teach at madrasas? They teach jihad. So, why would, in addition to like his relatives and his heritage, his own ancestors and so on, why would um, he not, uh, why would that not be a central idea to his thinking? Why would he not agree with the terrorists or the Taliban, ISIS, Al-Qaeda um, in their plan to take over the world and, and um enact Sharia law. I mean, that is, you know, this is something that Americans in particular are in denial about, are complacent about, thinking about how, um, you know, they think, most people here think 
that 9-11 or terror attacks in general um, won't happen again. And because I don't know why they think that, but um, I mean, you know, it was such a shock and so on. And of course, now there are so many people in America, you know, the younger generations who weren't alive during 9-11. So it's hard to remember, or well, you can't remember, but it's hard to realize um, the trauma of that day if you weren't there. I mean, of course, as I've talked about in previous podcasts, it, it has gotten passed down uh, the trauma of it through parents and so on, but not the not the fear, not the feeling, not the concern that um, this was not a one and done. This is something that that terrorists, all <laughs> forms and shapes of terrorists, you know, all types of terrorists um, have have planned, um, as I said, for over a thousand years, and they are not stopping now. It may seem like um, they, you know, because there haven't been any uh, attacks, or I won't say any attacks, actually there have been attacks, but they have been uh, foiled, fortunately. And so we don't hear about them, especially in the mainstream media. But I mean, we've had, had things like uh, Salman Rushdie was knifed, but of course, of course, that's just one man, but it's not like 9-11. But there are the large reason why we haven't had attacks during um, during these past two or three years is because of COVID and the lockdowns and the people weren't going out. Even today, people aren't going as much as they used to um, because there is still some fear in terms of COVID. And of course, now that COVID's maybe coming back, well, that that also seems a bit overblown, but in any case, so people weren't at concerts or weren't at big entertainment events, places where terrorists could set off a suicide bomb and kill a lot of people. Well, all right, so so let me um, let me just tell you that um, I was mentioning the top generals. So um, the top generals. This is a quote, a headline. Top top U.S. generals say they advised against complete pullout from Afghanistan, and the main. Um, person who is was talking about this was General Mark Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and General Kenneth McKenzie, McKenzie, chairman, uh, sorry, commander of U.S. Central Command. And they said that they personally had recommended that some 2,500 troops remain on the ground in Afghanistan. But Biden <laughs> ordered a complete pullout of U.S. forces by he had said at one point August 31st and then they pulled out by August 30th so he was ahead of the time ahead of the game they pulled out in in a tremendous rush because the Taliban was um, creating more and more violence and it was more and more dangerous um he's they try to say the White House has tried to say that Biden received split advice about what to do in Afghanistan um which you know so um so when millie uh, general mark millie was asked whether the pullout and disorderly evacuation during which 13 american troops were killed in a bomb attack had damaged u.s credibility and he sort of tried to go around and around about this he said i think that our credibility with allies and partners around the world and with adversaries 
is being intensely reviewed by them to see which way this is going to go. And I think damage is one word that could be used, yes. So he admits that. He said the Taliban was and remains a terrorist organization, and they still have not broken ties with Al-Qaeda, which plotted 9-11 attacks from Afghanistan. So we are in more and more um, danger. You know, we're coming up on the uh, on the anniversary of 9-11. And um, as I said last year and the year before and probably the year before that, we are in more danger today than we were when 9-11 actually happened. Um, Millie said, or no, Austin said, one second. Um, let's see. Oh, the defense secretary, yeah. Austin said um, that the United States, quote, did not fully comprehend the depth of corruption and poor leadership in the Afghan armed forces. We helped build a state, but we could not forge a nation. The fact that the Afghan army, we and our partners trained, simply melted away in many cases without firing a shot took us all by surprise. Well, you know, blame Trump, blame the Afghan, uh, um, you know, the Afghan military that they had trained. I mean, it is, it was shocking. It was, it did catch them by surprise. Um, that was Defense Secretary, Secretary Lloyd Austin uh, who said that. Um, yes, it was a surprise that they crumbled uh, so quickly, you know, when when it came time to fight um, the Taliban. And, um, you know, they didn't have their heart in it. They had all American equipment and they were trained on it. But apparently they didn't have their heart in it because um, perhaps some of them felt more loyal to the Taliban. Perhaps some of them were afraid of the Taliban. But yes, they did crumble. But that, so you make plans for that. You can't just assume that they're going to take the place of American soldiers. I mean, that was a ridiculous assumption. All right. Well, we can stop here for this segment. And when we come back, I'm going to tell you more about how the ghosts of surrender to the Taliban uh, haunt us today. So stay tuned. Welcome back to the Terrorist Therapist Show, uh, where we're talking today about ghosts of surrender to Taliban haunt us today. So now let me tell you about what is happening current currently. Well, it, it's been the, the needless to say, the parents of the thirteen um, U.S. troops who were killed as the as America was trying to, was scrambling to get out of Afghanistan because of the mess that Biden had made, um, the, it, a, a suicide bomber um, was able to get through and unleash his bomb and, um, and, and wind up killing uh, 13 American troops. And, um, it was very sad. And so the parents of these uh, 13, and then of course, as you may have seen, did you see when the, these um, troops 
came back in coffins. Uh, they were unloaded from a plane in Washington, D.C., and Biden was there. And it was just, you know, it was, it, he made the whole situation worse. If you could, if, if, a par it could, if it could be even worse, you know, for a parent losing their child. But as he was uh, giving a rambling speech, he was looking at his watch. Do you remember that? It did, that did get in the media a lot where, um, and he came up with some excuse later, but you know, it was like, like, can we get this over with already? I have to go on, I have to go get some ice cream was really what it was. Um, and needless to say, you know, this was a travesty. There was no reason why uh, we couldn't have pulled out in a way to save all the American troops who were still alive at that point in Afghanistan. Anyhow, so the parents have been um, uh, meeting with some people in Congress who are trying to get to the bottom of this. I mean, of course, what, it's two years later? I don't know, these things, everything takes forever, right? Um, it should not, there should be complete transparency. Anyhow, um, one of the parents of one of the troops, one of the 13, named Mark Schmitz, uh, he is one of the parents who has been particularly, you know, forging ahead and trying to get answers. So he was asked on a recent um, broadcast, um, his name is Mark Schmitz, and he was, his son is Lance Corporal Jared Schmitz, and, and Jared was killed in the Kabul airport attack, and um, he, he hasn't gotten answers, the parent hasn't gotten answers on whether the Kabul suicide bomber could have been taken out before the attack and accused the he accused the Biden administration of covering up evidence. Well, I mean, yeah, you know, if if he couldn't have been um, gotten out before the suicide attack, bomber attack, then they would tell him that. They would have told him that two years ago. The fact that they're covering it up and being quiet about it tells the whole story. They could, you know, it says that it could have been um, if, if they had, if they had done it in a better way that um, they could have taken the suicide bomber out. They could have actually stopped it even before it got to that point where a suicide bomber was allowed to get that close. Anyhow, he was asked by the host um, do you, whether he ever got any answers about this. And he said, quote, nothing yet. In fact, I've asked for copies of the SD card footage off of his rifle scope, the suicide um, attacker, suicide bomber's scope. Um, and let's see, um, that would have been recorded and they would have been able to have that as evidence that this was or was not in fact the bomber. That card has been misplaced, as they say. So I don't know what the truth is anymore. We can't seem to get a straight answer out of anybody. Um, yes, <laughs> that and and the fact that these parents are, you know, are are not being given the respect of getting answers um, is, is just making the whole tragedy even worse. Okay, let's see. Now, um, Kevin McCarthy, I remember I mentioned that the, the suicide bomb attack was on 
August 26, 2021. And so just, just recently, um, he asked uh, the U.S. He ordered that the U.S. Capitol flag be lowered to half mast to honor the 13 troops who were killed on that day. Um, he said, two years ago today, we tragically lost 13 brave servicemen and women in Afghanistan. I have directed the flags of the U.S. Capitol to be lowered to half staff in honor of these American heroes. And let me just, to honor them, read their names. Um, and notice their ages. They were all so young. Their lives should not have been cut short at this time. Sergeant jo Johanny Rosario Picardo. Uh, Sergeant Nicole L.G. Staff Sergeant Darren T. Hoover. Uh, Corporal Hunter Lopez. Corporal Dagan W. Page. Corporal Humberto A. Sanchez. Uh, Lance Corporal... David L. Espinoza. Oh, yes, I said I was going to mention their, their ages, and then I didn't. Anyhow, Pichardo was 25, uh, G was 23, Hoover was 31, Lopez was 22, um, Page was 23, Corporal Humberto A. Sanchez was 22, Lance Corporal David L. Espinoza was 20, Lance Corporal Jared M. Schmitz was 20, uh, so this man's son was 20. Lance Corporal Riley J. McCullum was 20. Lance Corporal Dylan R. Marola was 20. Lance Corporal Kareem M. Nakui was 20. Uh, Navy Corpsman Maxton W. Soviak was 22. And Staff Sergeant Ryan C. Knauss was 23. So is that a tragedy <laughs> or what? Um... A, a suicide bomber slipped past the Taliban checkpoints to the gates where they were screening entrance. And um, that was where he detonated his bomb. And of course, you know, of course people had been killed, um, you know, for over the 20 years as well, but it just seems, you know, it just seemed like if we were going to get out of Afghanistan to save people, then they certainly shouldn't have been able to save these 13 on the last day or near the last day. Um, so, and he still, Biden still hasn't taken responsibility for any of this. He hasn't taken responsibility for having, um, you know, the horrible way that it was done, the, the haphazard way, or maybe if not on purpose, that it was done. Uh, he denies making any mistakes with the withdrawal. Uh, he said he was right. He said, quote, Biden said, quote, no, no, all the evidence is coming back. Um, do you remember what I said about Afghanistan? I said Al-Qaeda would not be there. I said it wouldn't be there. I said we get help from the Taliban. What's happening now? What's going on? Read your press. I was right. Oh, God, you know, how could he say this? Um, um, one, one father, let's see, one of the other fathers of the, um, of the, uh, of, of these 13 troops said, um, 
he, he wanted, he called on Biden and his top aides to resign. He said, quote, I'm calling out Secretary Blinken, Secretary Austin, General Milley, General McKenzie, Lieutenant Colonel Whitehead, who could not give the order to the snipers to take out the bomber before he detonated his vest and ultimately the president. Do what, do what our son did, be a grown man. He's talking to the president now. Do what our son did, be a grown ass man, admit your mistakes, learn from them so that this doesn't happen ever, ever again. You all need to resign immediately. Our sons and daughters have more integrity in their little toes than every one of them combined. Every one of the people he was, he said should be fired. And that is absolutely true. Um, now to make things worse, um, you know, as if this pull out surrender wasn't bad enough. And let me tell you, this is gonna be, you know, when when people study history in school, of course, the history that kids are studying these days in America are, is so distorted that um, it's not going to give a true view anyway. But when um, they study history, they they are going to realize that um, this this surrender, this date in history, will be seen. You know, when we get a little further down the road in history, it will be seen as the end. Well, I don't want to be so bleak, but I don't, I won't say the end of America. Well, certainly the end of America's position in the world. Um, I mean, not to say that we can't reclaim it. And I certainly hope that we do, but not only did this, you know, have um, such a negative effect on potential um, people who would list, enlist in the military, but it is having, it has had uh, such an effect on our enemies, because it was after this pullout that Russia invaded Ukraine, that China started acting up, that uh, Iran took um, more power, North Korea, of course. It, all our enemies thought to themselves, I mean, it was such a debacle. They thought to themselves, oh, he's surrendering to the Taliban. If we can get America to surrender, if they can get whoever, if, if the Taliban can get America to surrender to them, then hell, we're stronger than the Taliban. We can take over America too. Meanwhile, to make things worse, um, the Biden administration has given 2.35, 2.35 billion with a B to the Taliban since the withdrawal. It's not enough that we surrendered. We have to give them billions of dollars. Um, and, you know, nobody in America has voted. Well, I mean, I guess indirectly we vote. Well, supposedly we voted for Biden. Um, but. Uh, I mean, he isn't asking, he isn't going down to the local supermarket and saying, do you agree that I should give this money to the Taliban, you know, a terrorist organization? And in Afghanistan, it was this way all along, and it's still this way now. Not only is there the Taliban, but there's Al-Qaeda, there's ISIS, and they're all in this country, and in other countries too, but all together, this is sort of where, where, where they are together, you know, where they're concentrated. Um, and of course, they're still planning to take over America. So, and then, um, let's see. And the way, oh, the way, some of the way that they've been giving this, getting, that the Taliban has been getting this money 
is because we give the money, America, Biden, not America, Biden gives the money to um, uh, non-governmental organizations. In other words, the organizations who are there to help the people of Afghanistan, not the Taliban, you know, to give the poor starving people in Afghanistan food and money for food and things like that. The problem is that the Taliban rules the roost and they take a large part of the money that America gives to Afghanistan. Um, it, you know, of course, the Taliban, the Taliban rules everything. So, of course, they're able to take the money from these, you know, non-governmental agencies. Um, so they've been there are all these groups working on reconstruction projects and so on. But the Taliban is in control of them. Um, now, in fact, the head of the this organization, um, a head of an organization that is supposed to um, be watching out. Uh, let me see here. Um, the told the foreign the organization is called uh, Sigar S I G A R. And the head of it is John Subco, Sopko. And he told the House Foreign Relations Foreign Affairs Committee that he, quote, cannot assure the committee or the American taxpayer we are not currently funding funding the Taliban. So he admits that. Um, and uh, I mean, you know, and yet it this keeps going on. And so not only have we left them arms and left them all kinds of machinery and weapons of all different kinds, we just left it there. That was another thing, another brilliant move. We Instead of taking out our weapons and leaving behind some troops and enough weapons for those troops, American troops, and um, and other, you know, nations who were helping with this, um, instead of leaving, they, they left the weapons themselves. I mean, that makes absolutely no sense. Again, so that's why you have to kind of wonder whether this was on purpose. Because uh, because if he was, if it was just his dementia, then someone would have said to him, you know, or gotten him to uh, listen to them. But no, there was someone more powerful behind him, uh, namely Obama. Um, also... Biden is also aiding Al-Qaeda, you know, the people who brought us 9-11. Yes, he is um, giving money, manpower, and territory. Uh, he claimed, Biden claimed, this is just recently, he falsely claimed that Al-Qaeda was no longer operating in Afghanistan. Like, how do you have a president who doesn't know, well, or does know, but is lying to us, that uh, that Al Qaeda is still operating in Afghanistan. That's really not brain surgery. There are people studying this all the time. I look at the I look at I study and I look at the reports um, about what Al Qaeda is doing. And they've been trying to re during the lockdowns, for example, they use that as time to recruit um, more people to join their organization. And it's on the internet. I'm sure people could show it to Biden, um, you know, bring it up on the internet 
and show the all the recruiting and so on and show where Al-Qaeda is. I mean, Al-Qaeda and ISIS um, are, are actually in a number of places. There's a lot of attacks going on in the world. We, you may not hear about them, but in Africa and in Pakistan, all over. Um, so they by no means have gone to sleep. So Biden... Um, uh, he said that he said, I, he, he said, quote, I said Al Qaeda would not be there. I said it wouldn't be there. I said we'd get help from the Taliban. What's happening now? What's going on? Read your press. So um, Al Qaeda actually does have training camps in six provinces in Afghanistan, and um, including in a place called Helmand, which where hundreds of Marines had been killed and wounded trying to secure this uh, province. And now um, it's overrun by Al-Qaeda. And um, there were 378 Marines killed and 5,000 wounded just in this one place. And also Al-Qaeda has safe houses across Afghanistan, including in Kabul. Um, and let me... I think I, I should probably, well, let me go on a little bit longer with this. Um, he, the Taliban have appointed Al-Qaeda leaders to keep positions, including as governors of entire provinces, which, yes, does seems to fly in the face of logic, um, except for the fact that, um, you know, there is some... Sometimes they are fighting each other and sometimes they conspire with each other. I mean, America is there for all three of these terrorist organizations, Taliban, Al-Qaeda, and ISIS. America is their number one enemy. So to that extent, they can um, work together, you know, uh, to to plot things against America. So, um Well, I, I think I'll stop right here, but then when we come back, I will, um, we'll go into this a little bit more. And then I will tell you some other things about some other outrageous things <laughs> that are happening, um, including why Taliban fighters, unsettled by peace, seek new battles abroad. Dun, dun, dun. So stay tuned. Welcome back to the Terrorist Therapist Show. Today we're talking about ghosts of surrender to Taliban taunt us today. So I'm going to be telling you more about that. This whole, uh, I was telling you about um, how Biden is helping Al-Qaeda. Um, a UN Security Council report documented that Al-Qaeda members have received appointments and advisory roles in the Taliban security and administrative structures. Um, and the, it is, the Islamic terror group is rebuilding its operational capacity. Now the Taliban denied this. I mean, it seems pretty outrageous that the Taliban is depending upon um, Al-Qaeda for help, although it is Al-Qaeda who to, uh, perpetrated 9-11. So, um, they are a little more sophisticated than the Taliban. Um, so, uh, let's see. So Biden 
took $3.5 billion, as I was saying, billion with a B, <laughs> meant for 9-11 victims. He got this money from the money that was meant for 9-11 victims, and he diverted it to a trust fund, whatever that means, for Afghanistan. Um, oh, by the way, SIGAR, um, S-I-G-A-R, it stands for Special Inspector General for Afghanistan Reconstruction. So meanwhile, um, while all this has been happening, um, Biden has been freeing Guantanamo Bay terrorists, um, who dangerous terrorists, and there's a whole. I'm going to be telling you about that too. There's a whole new, new uh, outrageous thing going on with the with Guantanamo and what's happening there. But I'll save that for the next uh, podcast. Um, so. So um, Biden is is being considered the best thing to happen to Al-Qaeda, even more than, I mean, this particular article, they said even more than Obama. But the thing is, Obama, Biden is, Biden is Obama's puppet. So Obama is continuing through Biden. Um, now, even while Al-Qaeda and the Taliban remain tightly integrated, or so there is thought, integrated, or so it is thought, Biden is claiming that the Taliban are helping America against Al-Qaeda, against Al-Qaeda. So he's ignoring these reports that there is some um, integration. Even while, so, so Biden is claiming that the Taliban are helping America against Al-Qaeda, even while he claims that Al-Qaeda isn't in Afghanistan. Do you get that? <laughs> I mean, he's talking out of both sides of his mouth. Some of it is his dementia, but some of it is just are just lies. Um, so, so you know, when Biden surrendered to the Taliban, it wasn't just surrendering to the Taliban; it was surrendering to Al Qaeda as well, which is particularly significant on this eve of. Um, the next anniversary of 9-11. Um, another weird connect sense of, uh, you know, it's kind of like the enemy of my enemy is my friend way of thinking. Um, the U.S. And, and the Taliban joined forces to battle ISIS in Afghanistan. So now the U.S. and the Taliban are fighting ISIS, supposedly. Um, and the and the Taliban and Al-Qaeda are joining. I mean, you kind of, this is like, um, who's on first? Anyhow, but um, but this part actually is unfortunately true that, um, uh, the, that the U.S. is looking towards the Taliban government as an ally against ISIS. <laughs> I, I, it's... It, it it is beyond um so now there um there is an there's the islamic state uh Khorizan, which is isis k and that's isis that's in afghanistan um and they are not good guys but um but to trust 
to the Taliban to be our ally against ISIS-K, you can't trust any of these terrorists. Like, hello, we should have learned this a long time ago. They are all out for the same thing, to take over the world, basically, and to make the whole world radical Islamist. Um, now, there was a leaked Pentagon assessment that said that Islamic State terrorists are once again using Afghanistan as a staging ground for plots against America, Europe, and Asia. So, you know, this, this, these, un, un, these inconvenient truths are true. Um, I mean, basically Afghanistan is a staging ground, um, a, a staging ground for all three of these terrorist groups. And now here's the what I was promising you. Taliban fighters, and this is a very interesting, um, very interesting, what, um, oh, psychologically, it's very interesting to think about them. I mean, it makes sense. Um, this is what I was talking about. The Taliban fighters, unsettled by peace, seek new battles abroad. So it's been two years since we surrendered and um the there there have been young talibans or young talibs as they call them um who are bored they went to they, they studied in madrasas um to wage jihad they have since they were little boys and girls well i guess mostly boys but yeah yeah, you can't do anything as a girl. So um, anyhow, they studied in a madrasa, in madrasas, and in Afghanistan, um, in particular, these ones that I'm talking about. And they were taught about the, you know, this romantic notion of waging jihad all over the world. So this one particular, uh, as an example, this one young man, Mohammed Khalid Tahir, he dreamed of waging jihad, um, you know, throughout these these years in school. And by the time he was a teenager, he had joined the Taliban and he celebrated when they seized power from America two years ago. But then the high from that victory didn't last long. He was reassigned as a soldier in the capital and he now frequently complained that he's bored. And he wants to return to his life's purpose, which is to wage jihad. So this spring he did. He went across the border to, in Pakistan. Illegally, he crossed the border to Pakistan. And um, he said, our only, quote, our only expectation is to be martyred. So basically he went there to die, you know, in the name of Allah. Um, as a good radical Islamist boy or young man does. Uh, he was killed a month after he arrived in Pakistan by Pakistani security forces. So there are hundreds of young Taliban soldiers who have crossed illegally into Pakistan to battle alongside an insurgent group. 
and basically, you know, more than hundreds who are who were raised in these madrasas to wage jihad, and now, <laughs> now they're in they're in um, Afghanistan, and the Taliban is, um, you know, is ruling it, and um, it is relatively well, relatively peaceful, relatively peaceful in terms. I mean, it's not not great for the Afghan people who are starving and all that. But um, there is no drive immediately, although they're working up to this. Um, there's no current. There's no place for these young um, Taliban's to go to wage jihad unless they cross illegally into Pakistan and then go to other countries as well. But he said there, there are many people, many of them, um, are determined to continue to wage jihad wherever in the world it takes them. This is what they say. Um, so, you know, there's, they are beginning to destabilize neighboring countries. And then of course their ultimate goal is to reach the West. Um, so countries from Russia and China to the United States and Iran have all raised alarms about the possible resurgence in Afghanistan of terrorist groups. Well, in America, <laughs> You don't hear much about this. I, I don't know of any people who are alarmed. Certainly Biden isn't alarmed. Um, but they're, you know, inside, probably they're alarmed in Russia and China and Iran and any other country, um, you know, that has any sense. Um, or leaders with sense, I should say. Americans have sense, but unfortunately we have a leader who doesn't. Um so they're worried about terrorist groups, not like all, all three terrorist groups, Al-Qaeda, ISIS, and the Taliban. Um, the Taliban has publicly condemned this outflow of young fighters, but um, they don't really seem to be doing much to stop them. Um, because because part of them want, I mean, that's their goal too, to uh, to take over the world bring the world to is to radical islam um let's see so there are all there are all kinds of things going on you know particularly in regard to pakistan where that's where they have started um to wage jihad and 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 many are invigorated by the collapse of the western backed government in afghanistan so i mean that is the thing just like i was talking about our enemies in China and Russia and all of that, um, that they have become emboldened because we, we surrendered to the Taliban. Same thing for other terrorists, whether they're, um, you know, in Afghanistan, I mean, whether they're ISIS or Al-Qaeda or Taliban, they are emboldened by the fact that they did it once, they could do it again. If they got our surrender once, they can do it again. So <laughs> these young young men, who have been taught again in in the madrasas that they're the goal, the glory, glory goal, um, the biggest goal or the best goal that they can aspire to is waging jihad all over the world. So when once they've gone through all of this and once they've seen the surrender and that it can be done, they now would rather wage jihad than work on their families' farms. Uh, one of these. One of these, um, a man named Ab Abdul Bari Wasil Sardor, who's 38, said, quote, our village has been known for, had been known 
for producing engineers and doctors before the wars. But now, you know, they're producing these jihadists um, who are who want to actively wage jihad, whether it's a suicide attack. Um, now the young generation are only interested in doing jihad, he said. Um, the like many boys in their village, this this um, other young man, Mr. Malang, quote, joined the Taliban as teenagers and disappeared into mountainside hideouts from where they staged hit and run attacks on Western and Afghan government forces. They celebrated each successful operation against the so-called infidels. So in other words, for 20 years, you know, or well, you know, for for 20 years, there's been war in the country. They've been taught to wage jihad. And now just because America has pulled out, it's it's hard, if not impossible, to get them to uh, to decide to do something else, just work on the farm. No, that doesn't that doesn't give them the same excitement. Um, some of these people said these young jihadis um, or young Afghans said they were determined not to let their dreams of martyrdom pass their by. They said, quote, everywhere that Muslims are in trouble, we must help them, like Palestine and my Myanmar, even America. So that's the thing. They're not just, now they're not just thinking about, you know, they've gotten this fight in them. They've gotten this goal in them. Uh, drummed into them in school. So now it's not just about it's not just about uh, doing it nearby, like Pakistan. Um, it's like helping Muslims all over the world, freeing them, although I don't know what what they think is is uh, is happening to them. Muslims are in trouble and we must help them. Um, even America. You know, I, I don't think that's a fair statement. But in any case, um, if it goes according to what they want to believe, um, that is all that uh, that counts. So that's another reason. That's another reason why I'm saying that, uh, you know, why the title of this podcast today is about the ghosts haunting us. You know, it's not over. Um, the fact the pullout from Afghanistan has is haunting us in so many ways, not least of which is the fact that it has emboldened all these jihadists who have nothing to do <laughs> except work on the farms. And you know, you can imagine, like, if you, I mean, they become they're radical, radical Islamists, they become um so uh taught to be so. I mean, some of these, uh, you know, I've I've done research into what is taught at some of these madrasas, and it is so, it's done in such a way, starting with the youngest little boys, you know, um, teaching like three and four-year-olds uh, to do drills, to do, uh, to carry an, a, a gun. I mean, it, these toddlers, they teach them all these different weapons and all these reasons why they have to kill non-believers. And so that gets Im embedded in them. And just because America pulled out, um, they, they can't just like forget this, this. This is what they grew up on. They can't just forget about it. 
um, because that would make, you know, all these, it, it, they need a purpose in life. And the purpose is jihad. Well, thank you for listening to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol Lieberman, your terrorist therapist. You've been listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. Stay tuned and she'll be right back with more analysis of this week's hottest topic in terror, 